to the FPTO Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is Dr. Liz Anderson-Peacock. As of November 22nd, 2017, she has become a right baloney amputee. Her journey has been captured on Instagram and YouTube as she was less than 75 days from amputation to walking without AIDS at the age of 58. She's sought after motivational speaker by groups for her clinical knowledge and love of teaching in her specific areas of interest, namely wellness and lifestyle. Welcome to the show, Dr. Liz. Well, thank you so much for having me. We've come a long way since I first met you as an amputee in the hospital. <laughs> you know, right? Was that what that was in 2017, wasn't it? Yes, or yeah. might have been 20. Yeah, I can't remember if it was in 17 or 18. Uh, right, yeah. time back, whatever. But yeah, it seemed like it was yesterday. But I know. <laughs> here we are. So you had two legs. You had one leg still there. <laughs> yes. That, oh, that is true. <laughs> You're more bionic now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Your step. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. That's right. So um, please take us through that, um, that loss of limb. Uh, when did it happen? How did it happen? I know you have sort of a background story that comes before all of that. So take us through all of that. So um, interesting story for me anyways, is that I'd had a prolonged problem. And it started as a like a pebble in my shoe kind of feeling in my right foot and the plantar aspect of my right foot. And it was uh, a very inappropriate time, like not, like most things are. And being a professional, of course, I ignored it, thought it would go away, and it wasn't going away. And then I started to get it investigated. And long and short, it took me about a good six, seven years, really pushing forward to get it properly diagnosed. So it got diagnosed uh, in 2017 after seeing many professionals in many fields. And it was a synovial sarcoma, which of course is a form of cancer. And it had uh, been well circums uh, well um, encapsulated in this volar aspect of my foot, plantar aspect of my foot, and it had grown between some of the joints in my foot. So in that moment, of course, with anybody that has anything like that, you when you receive the information, it's your brain kind of goes into this crazy way of what does this mean to me? What does this mean to my family? What does this mean to my practice, my patients, my life, all that sort of stuff. And then my doctor mode came on and I went through my Rolodex of, okay, what is a synovial sarcoma and sort of brought that down. And then I was sitting in my study and I was looking at a book in my bookshelves and I see this book by Bruce Lipton and some of your listeners might want to tap into some of that work that he does. And it's about the biology of belief. And it really talks in a nutshell that the body can only be in one, the cell can only be in one of two ways, essentially. It's either in stress and defense or it's in growth and repair. And this is really significant when we want to go to growth and repair, because that's where we want to put our focus as we're healing ourselves. Anyway, so I look back on my life and I looked and sort of went, oh my God, look at how much stress I've created for myself. And it was my response to situations. I take total responsibility and there's a whole other story there. And what am I going to do now? And so it ends up that I found an MD in New York City uh, who treats cancer naturally, primarily through doing a lot of detoxing, a lot of diet, a lot of uh, mental mindset, a lot of these kinds of things. And I became a patient of his for a good 10 years. And it was really, um, <clears throat> it wasn't easy, the, the work that he was asking you to do. Uh, but I felt really good at doing the work and I felt really congruent with it. And my tumor was pretty much under control. So I really wasn't worried about it exploding everywhere. Now, then in 2017, I'm in hiking with my husband in Australia. And I'm going up this uh, really steep 
non-stairway, uh, just very technical climb. And <clears throat> my foot slipped. So when I had slipped and my foot sort of went into this hyperextension, it felt like um, it was that gut feeling like you're going to be nauseous, sick kind of feel. And in comparison, uh, back 10 years ago, I'd had, or longer than 10 years ago, I had a uh, left reconstruction of my knee because I'd done an ACL tear. And I would put that pain-wise from what I experienced from that surgery at a one out of 10. I would put my amputation as a three out of 10. And this pain was a 10 out of 10. And so then I just had this instinct of, you know what, I got to do something very, very different. So Fast forward, I decide to do a right below knee amputation. And it's not every day you sign a consent form voluntarily saying, oh, please take off my lower limb, you know? So that takes a lot in the mindset to get there. But the beautiful thing for me was that I had time to prepare mentally, in my home, emotionally, and many people aren't in that situation. So that already puts me in a different mindset, I think, from many of your listeners that wake up from an accident and have something where it's something is gone, or um, they haven't, they're, they're in such terror when they have an amputation that occurs, or they have a comorbidity like a diabetes or something else. So there's a lot of factors that everyone comes to the situation they're in, Yet, at the same time, there are things that we can still control because I come from a mindset of the belief that we are far more creative and resourceful than we've been led to believe. And that creativity and that resourcefulness may not just come from us, it may, become, may come from how we resonate and who we connect with. So, for example, you as being a peer-to-peer -peer person, someone that you can connect with can have a very different outcome long-term because of the knowledge you shared with the experience. So that's what I mean by that. And then there was other things that led me in that direction as well, which are kind of interesting. So one of them was I'm a big meditator and I do a lot of work that I uh, will do a shout out to Dr. Joe Dispenza, who has an amazing program that people can do through his books online, in person, so on and so forth. But <clears throat> I was at a big uh, event where there's probably about 1200 of us meditating in one room at uh, four in the morning. It's a four hour meditation. And the idea is you get yourself into this space of nothingness, right? This void of being nothing. And as I'm getting into this space of nothingness and turning my active brain off, which is usually very hard to do, but I'm there. I had this sense of this, um, what I, I can just say it's this, this, this loving intelligence with a message that said to me, you are so much more than a body part, let it go, surrender. So I came out of that meditation feeling very, very different from how I had when I came in. And then about a month before my amputation, I was in South Africa with my husband, and we went to this elephant um, rescue uh, region, uh, of where they were rehabbing elephants and sanctuary. And I had this African elephant that came up to me who was absolutely majestic. He had crossed tusks. He's like 18 feet tall. He's four tons. I've got tears rolling down my face and I'm having this amazing moment, touching this elephant, putting my hand in his mouth and feeling his trunk, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I asked the handler, I'm like, why is this elephant in this sanctuary? Because it makes no sense to me. He looks pretty darn good. Is it because his teeth are 
crossed? Like, I don't know. And imagine this, you're in South Africa, this elephant comes up to you. And the, um, I was told that the reason why this elephant was in this park was because part of his trunk had to be amputated. Now, the message that I was getting, which is why I was sort of emotional, quite emotionally distraught with this elephant was, I don't know about you, but well, you have a dog. You know how our animals speak to us, right? They tell us things. So this elephant is just saying to me, and I've got all my limbs at that point. It doesn't, or does, I don't know if it knows or not, whatever. That's another story. But this elephant, I get a message from him saying, surrender, let it go. And then five minutes later, I find out this elephant had part of his trunk amputated. So that was number two. <laughs> right, right. I had a whole bunch of these things. So I wanted to go back to that because I think you and I are similar, shared that similar story where our decisions to have our limbs amputated came easy. I should say came easy, but I had been dealing with obviously 15 years, which I've shared many times, just 15 years of, of dealing with pain and a lot of surgeries and a lot of restoration and hopefully salvaging the limb. And I often get asked about why do you not grieve your amputation? So what, what do you, you know, I guess, what would your response? So there was, an, there's actually two, two things I'd like to unpack that you talked about. One, first of all, was the idea of grieving for the part that's gone. And I, um, I think everyone comes to this journey in their own unique way. So I'm not not going to in any way invalidate what someone's experience is because I don't think there's one right way. And I think for some people, the grief, as long as they can move through that grief is probably a good thing, right? Because they, um, they may have seen themselves as being whole in a certain perception. And now it's very different from that. The same time, I also remind people that there are things that we have amputated all the time that we never think of them like an amputation because it's about our perspective. Technically, a wisdom tooth extraction is an amputation of a wisdom tooth. You know, if you have had a gallbladder removed, that's an amputation of a gallbladder. A appendix, that's an amputation of an appendix. And so it's all how we want to perceive the event. And yeah, there are definitely structural changes that you have to navigate the world in a new way. So that's sort of, I wanted to unpack that one for people to maybe think about that a little differently and that we are so much more than a body part. The second thing um, to your question was, for me, I came to it from, but sort of my science side and my, and, and it, it lined up with my emotional, spiritual side. And I think that's the easiest way to put it. When all of them came together and I knew that I had to let go of how things would unravel on the other side and trust that I knew things were going to be fine if I tried not to force it <laughs> in my nature. And you get that too, right? It's like, oh, I have a plan. This is when I, this should happen here and this should happen here. And I was actually speaking to an amputee the other day and she's trying to compare herself to my experience. I'm like, stop comparing because that's what's going to get you into trouble. And if you can just be really present in the now and listen to what the now is asking you to do, then the next step will show up. And that's the thing is we try to, I think, get back to an old life, but sometimes that old life brought us to where we are now. So maybe that old life wasn't really as good as we thought it was anyways, because we can be into a whole new place, right? 
So I think for me, that was the big thing is having my, uh, my sort of my mental mindset and my emotional and spiritual all line up. And I just knew that uh, things would be fine. And like you is we had time to mentally prepare for that. Some people I recognize don't have that or they don't have the the uh, resources emotionally to necessarily navigate their way through. And that's why I think the work that you do is really helpful because people do feel quite alone and there is such a variable in how people are going to heal from these things. The other one I wanted to touch on is encouraging us at me, maybe at times, a lot of times, and, and you talked about this in one of the articles I've read about you, when people say to you, you'll get back up to fully functioning before you know it. <laughs> And we both laugh at it because we've all heard it. You know, you hear it from your friends, your family, your your care providers a lot of times. And I think that sets up the expectation, like I said, sometimes that causes more frustrations for the amputee than anything. What would you recommend for those? You, you, you kind of talked about, you know, being in the moment. What would you recommend for those who experience that frustration and how to reset themselves so that they know themselves, so they can look at themselves and, and say, this is really where I am. And I know what you're saying. It's encouraging, but this is where I am. That's a great question. Um, I think that the word surrender to the moment comes to mind. And I don't mean surrender as in giving up. I mean, surrender as in letting go. And it's very scary for people to go into an unknown because we like the known. We will do whatever it takes to stay in the known. That's why we want to go back to the way life was. But the growth and the I'm going to say for me, the beauty has been in going into the unknown because then I have all sorts of potentials that I can explore. What do I get to do next and how is that going to occur? And and for me, I gauge how I want to feel and how I want to feel tends to bring the same energy back towards me. So for me, when I went in for my surgery, I wanted to feel wholeness, vitality, grace, joy, faith, uh, love, uh, these sorts of emotions, because first of all, I knew they upregulate my genes for healing, all right, and for health, downregulate the genes for disease. They also um, create coherence in the heart, which create coherence in the mind. So the mind is able to be more creative and resourceful. And I also was very clear with how I wanted other people to communicate to me because I did not want the pity party. I did not want the, oh, I'm so sorry, or another cancer story, or oh my God. And I'm just like, no, you know what? If you're going to do that, then don't even engage with me. I want you to come to me and say, wow, you're alive. What are you doing in this moment? You know, I really was very clear on who I was going to give up mental real estate to in uh, how they were speaking with me. And the piece that I found was really uh, easy and difficult at the same time in the letting go in the surrender was trying not to fall back in the old patterns of predicting when things should occur. Because as soon as I'm in predicting, I'm back running an old pattern. I have to be in the non-predicting. So I remembered initially with my test socket, I was supposed to get it at a certain time. And then my prosthetist, oh my God, he actually went on holidays for two weeks and delayed it. And then I caught myself going, two weeks more healing before I get my test socket. You know, there's a probably a good reason for this. Plus you want your prosthetist nice and rested, you know? So there's all sorts of other benefits. And then there was another day where I was in our washroom 
And the doorbell rang, and I'd been very good at being very, very present. And I just went into autopilot on, oh, better get to that door. So I went to stand up, didn't have a leg, you know, and I fell down, I hit my stump, and I'm, you know, you know that feeling, right? Keep getting told about it. So I whipped my sock off, I'm kissing my stump, I'm inspecting my stump, going, oh, God, I didn't break it. Good, good, good. I'm like, I'm so sorry, little stump. You know, I had a name for it and everything. It's hilarious. But what a lesson. It was like, oh, I just ran an auto program of doorbell rings like a dog. Go, go get the door. And uh, at that point, I didn't even care about the door. But it was such a beautiful reminder to stay very present. And that's where life happens. It doesn't happen in the past. It doesn't happen in the future. It happens in the present moment. So, Right. I, I think that's what I take away too from my recovery was the, the moving forward bit. You know, it's past. I can't change anything about that now. I learned my ways. I learned what I needed to learn in that. But I also have to be in the moment now. Right. And I think living in that moment now is is really, I think, just helps you recover. And and it's coming. It's letting go of the things you can't control. Right. And yeah. putting the energy on what other things you can control. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, too, is um, recognizing that if you are in the anger, blame, mad, you know, regretting, feeling sorry for yourself, how is that going to lead you into a new future? Because if that's what you're bringing from your past to the present, then you're going to just take that forward to the new future. So why not make some decisions? And the key is catching yourself when we go unconscious and create those patterns, like the examples I gave, right? Where all of a sudden it's like I was expecting that socket. It's like, oh, look, I'm running a pattern. I'm running my expectation of wanting to have something when I want it and blah, blah. And saying, isn't this interesting? Look at what I'm learning about myself and waking ourselves up to recognizing that we're running patterns because there there is some evidence saying that by the age of 30, over 75 and maybe up to 90% of what we do is we run unconscious patterns, meaning that we are just running programs that we are just not aware of. And I think that the key is we have opportunities, especially when we have a forced slowdown in our life, to rebuild a new life in a different way of being that will then affect us physically on how we want to show up in the world from there. You wrote about um, the principles of pain gate theory. Can you talk us through more about that? Yes. So there's, of course, a lot of theories, especially with phantom pain and uh, how pain works in the body. And one of the things that worked really well for me was when I was in the amputee hospital is I started as quickly as I could is... uh, using a tuning fork on the spinous processes of my low back because of my amputation. So the nerves from the low back go down into the legs and you know exactly, they can map them out like your L2, 3, 4, 5, S1, S2, S3. And you can map that out from the spine. And that's where those nerves come from. And so my mind sort of went, well, why not gate and create an interference pattern at the spinal cord level and see what that does with respect to the pain reception that's going on in the part that's no longer there. And it's interesting because when I see an amputee and they'll often say, gosh, I feel pain on the outside fifth baby toe, even though I don't have one, that makes me think, okay, where in the spine would that be related for that nerve to be affected? And I have found a correlation with that. But anyways, that's going aside. So I was using a tuning fork on my on the muscles as well as on the um, 
the bony elements of the spine and on the sacrum and the pelvis and um, on my knee as well. So I was really just stimulating information interference patterns. So the best way to describe this in a gating series way is that the pain is being perceived by certain nerves into the brain. And at the same time, you can reduce the perception of that pain by creating an interference pattern. So the example I can give you is if anyone's ever pinched their thumb or they've hit their thumb with a hammer and you shake your hand or you suck your thumb and it feels like when you do that, you have less pain, it's because you've gated the pain. So the motion of the fingers or the motion of the limb or you sucking on your finger of your thumb that will change the the information or creates extra information into the brain that the brain has to organize and say, oh, okay, so we're dealing with pain, but we're also dealing with all this other information. And as a result, it tends to dampen the perception of pain. So that was one of the things that I did. Number two, one of the reasons why they want us moving as soon as possible, other than from the the vascular standpoint and from the uh, deconditioning, is that when we do move our joints, again, that reduces the perception of pain. So if you're moving your arms, you're moving your legs. I remember dealing with a woman beside me and she wasn't moving at all. And she's like, I'm in too much pain. I'm like, I I can believe it because you're not moving. (laughs) Like All you're doing is focusing on it. And if you're in pain, why not move and be in pain as long as it's not dangerous for you to move? So that's a second thing. And then the third thing um, I did as well was I did the mirror therapy. And uh, there is some evidence of that for sure in the upper limb. And I did it with my lower limb. And there's no question, even when I came home, I was doing that. I had a mirror that was laid against the couch. My stump leg was on one side. My good leg was on the other side. I hid my, so I couldn't see my good leg. And I did ranges of motion with my good leg, looking at the mirror and the brain starts to confuse or, or get some confusion in it that uh, changes again, how we perceive that pain. So those were a few things that really worked well for me. I did some nutritional stuff too, but I think nutrition is very individualized. So I don't like to give it a, a general uh, what to do for people on that. Cause everyone comes to that very differently. Kind of tricking the mind, if you will, maybe. Yeah. And so it, it, well, what it does is that the, the, the brain is perceiving information and it's perceiving it at the cost of pain at bringing other information in. And mm-hmm. so the other thing I did a lot of was meditating and I could get out of my body when I meditated. I mean, literally I could just be this presence and this nothingness and work on that feeling of, if I want to feel freedom, what does freedom feel like? And hold that in my heart and hold that. And and it was sort of almost like these magical events that would start to come to you. And there's some science coming on behind this now through quantum theory and quantum physics and things like, and, and neuroplasticity, neuroscience. Uh, but the, because thoughts become things, really, that's the essence of what we're talking about. In the introduction, I talked about you documenting your journey and your active lifestyle on Instagram and YouTube. Tell us more about that. You, you've shared some pictures of diving and you talked about traveling around the world a little bit earlier. Tell us, Take us through that active lifestyle of yours. So it has been really bizarre because as I said, is that my whole thing is about experiencing joy and vitality and wholeness. And so uh, just less than five months out, four months out. Um, of course, I was in the walk for the um, the St. Patrick's Day run, except for me, it was a walk. And uh, 
And that was, I just had had, I had my test socket for about a month at that point. So I just said to my husband, let's do it. Let's have fun with it. If I get through it, great. If I don't, I'm not going to sweat it. And it was awesome. So that was kind of a really good, oh, wow, look at that. That happened. That's awesome. So that was cool. And then we were able to head south for a little bit. I'm a past ex-swimmer. And so we headed down to Mexico and I got into the pool and, and it was I was really laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm one flipper short. And and when am I going to pull on an angle? And And again, it was, again, I make fun of it. And even flying in the plane, I made fun of it because I, you know, as amputees do, we take our legs off in a plane. And of course, my leg falls over into the aisle way. And this man is like, <gasps> so I, I couldn't help myself. I said, Oh, I'm so sorry, my leg fell off. So now other people are looking at me like what we don't hear this every day. And I picked up my leg. I said, best thing is, is I have more leg room than you. <laughs> so they're all laughing. I'm laughing. I'm having a great time. And then I get through an, um, customs and they're like, what's in your, what's in your bag? Cause of course I've got a metal foot in there. And I said, it's my foot. And the guy looks down at my legs. Right. And he doesn't realize, you know, I have a prosthetic on and he goes, um, open up your bag. I said, no, really it is my foot, but it's okay. I'll take my foot out for you. And then he takes it, he sees it and he feels so bad and I'm laughing. So I create humor where I can, um, two weeks ago, I was at walking with my husband and a little kid, I've got my blade on and my, a little kid is with his mom walking and he looks at me, he goes, she's got a pig. And the mother was just beside herself. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking this kid is curious. It's sort of true. It looks like a pig. I said, actually, it's a blade. Would you like to see it? And then, you know, I show them and we talk about it, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, so it's been very active from there. And then uh, I was actually again with this group with Joe Dispenza. And it was in August, it, it was in August of 2018. So I am still eight months out of my amputation. And <clears throat> we were to go down the outside of the Weston Harbor Castle Hotel, and we have photos. And we literally went from the 36, 36 floors down the outside, scaling down the outside of the hotel. And we were to maintain heart and brain coherence as we did that. That was our activity if we chose to do it. And it was very interesting because I do not like heights. And I thought, oh, this is easy. If I can chop my leg off, this is easy. And it was. But what was hard, and this is the piece of letting go, was initially the fellow who was in charge wasn't going to let me go because he said, you have a leg that can come off. And I'm like, dude, if this comes off, it's a pin lock. If it comes off, it's because I'm attached to it. Like, there's no way this is coming off. And he didn't believe me. And so I'm showing him I'm doing burpees. I'm doing get-ups. I'm doing running on the spot. I finally said, look, yank on my leg. Just yank it. Give it a good one. You know, I said, whatever it takes. So this was really interesting because that's where I lost my edge in recognizing I had an expectation. And then I finally just let go and said, look, what is it that you really need from me? Right. And then everything turned around and I don't know how we got discussing it. We, he's a scuba diver. I'm a scuba diver. As soon as he found out I was going to the Maldives to scuba dive, he's like, oh, you can go up here. So accomplished that as a as a really cool thing and then two months later I was uh, scuba diving in the Maldives and that was interesting because I had to decide how am I going to build a leg for pressure depth changes it's not like I can go to order one <laughs> as you know and so I had a socket that I had and I got a swim foot 
And then I decided I was just going to make sure that things were as tight as they could be. And then I did a sort of a double layer on top with the neoprene. And, and um, it's very interesting because when I do swim, uh, when I do dive, my amputee leg is super strong. It's amazing. I put my foot into plantar flexion. It locks on. My fin is on way stronger than my good leg uh, because it works in a more beautiful way. And it's amazing. So did that. I've been paddle boarding, you know, been hiking. And so I have I have been more active since my amputation than I was probably the three years prior that I hadn't been because of pain prior to limiting me. Right. I actually wanted to bring that up. And it's a good thing that you brought that up about people often perceive amputees as daredevils. And, you know, we do things that's way out of way out of left field. And it's like, what are you talking about? Propelling down a building or diving. You know, I've had my share of dare, the daredevil, but I've always been sort of a daredevil in some ways. But I guess it's because it's more documented now on Instagram and, and social media. It's like, is this all you do is think about another next thing that you're going to, you know, you're going to do? What I guess let's let's talk about non-daredevil amputees who are not like you and I. What practices has helped you get over those fears? You talked briefly about, you know, that or went back to that expectation. So, what could you share um, tip-wise for lack of a better term, regular amputees who may not be looking for their devil work but want to just get on with the regular things at home or at work? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, it's to face the fear and then make a decision. And you make the decision. Sometimes it has to be in a little bit of trust. Sometimes it has to be in the, uh, again, it's the unknown. So I can give you two examples. One was when I first came home from the amputee hospital, I was in the garage, it's December, and I have to get over this little step but it's an awkward step. It's not like a straight step. It's a step up and down and sort of thing. And as my husband opened the door, all I could think of is I'm going to trip over the step. And I put my walker on the other side. I'm like, I can't do this. And then I went, whoa, stop. If this little step is going to scare you, you have big issues ahead of you. So what do you need to do to mitigate the fear? What's the fear? So the fear was falling, face the fear. What have I done to stop the fear? Okay, I've got my uh, walker in front of me. The walker is there. I can fall forward and even into the walker, that wouldn't be a big deal. What's my other fear? The fear is that I'm going to fall backwards and trip myself backwards. So my husband was behind me. So he's not going to let me fall. So then I just went, you just have to do it. You, you have to take that hop. Because at that point, it's not a step, it's a hop. And I did the hop. And I laughed so hard because it was so dang easy. And it just shows you how your brain makes a mountain out of a molehill. And then I went, Liz, this is such a great thing to remember. You think this is something that was going to be super difficult and your mind was playing tricks and you had to settle down your mind, slow it all down, get off the noise and trust yourself. So that's sort of one example. The second example was because I'm a right below knee, I had to redo a driver's test. And when I redid my driver's test, I luckily I had an, uh, an OT that was also a drive instructor. And she actually taught me a couple of really great techniques that I thought these are just good techniques anyways. And it was, you know, to feel where you are uh, accelerating and braking with your knee and your leg 
And at first I thought, what if I can't drive? And that's like, Liz, you've been driving for, you know, decades. All you have to do is figure out where's the gas and where's the brake, right? Which are significant. But I I remember thinking, this is not like you're having to do it when you're 16, where you had to look at your understanding, your stop signs and stop lights and your speeds and all this, the turning. And it was again, super, super simple. So I think that many times we just need to slow ourselves down slow our brain down, face the fear as in acknowledge it, that it's there, and then start to find solutions that are going to take us one baby step at a time. So, you know, it's sort of like that first time I looked at the flight of stairs, I'm like, oh my God, flight of stairs. No, it's one step. It's one step. I have a physiotherapist that I trust is behind me. She is not going to let me fall. I have someone else to my left. I have a railing to the right. If I fall upstairs, no big deal, right? And so it was one step. And it's like, oh, celebrate the one step. And then you do another step. Celebrate the second step. And before you know it, you've done your flight. And then you got to turn around. <laughs> and then you go through the whole process again. And then it's practicing it until you get that confidence. And, you know, I think what's so beautiful about it is it reminds me how thankful I am for all the things that I can do that I'd forgotten how amazing they are. So when I look at my grandkids and they're learning to roll over and they're learning to sit up and they're learning to crawl and they're learning to stand, that's kind of how we are again. And we get to experience with joy because it's like, man, I took this for granted before. I don't never going to take that for granted again. Let me go back to the legs that you use. So you have a swim leg. So explain to people the swim leg that you have adding a fin to a foot. Sure. So what I have is I have just um, a carbon socket and then it's a pin lock. And then what I have a ta- that I can do the um, uh, uh, an easy release lock on and lock off with a, with a key. Uh, and I've got a what's called a swim foot. So the swim foot when you're standing is neutral, there's no spring to it. And then you can push a a slide uh, button, if you will. And then you can put it into plantar flexion. So it's pointed and you can then lock it and it's in that position. So the, so literally a fin can go on it. I suppose I could say it's a ballet foot as well. And as a matter of fact, Amy Purdy, who's the Olympian, who's bilateral uh, prosthetic, she was dancing on the stars with some of the, with the swim foot on actually initially. And so she was like on point. So you can, you can do that when you're in or out of the pool. Now, if I am diving, I use that because I have to get back into a boat and I don't want to try and use a ladder with a tank on and everything else. But if I'm just in a regular pool, I just take my leg off because to be quite honest, it's way easier and I don't feel like I'm having to sort of drag my other limb around. And I just keep my other, my other leg by the pool, right? So that I can pull myself out of the pool, put the leg on and go and do whatever I need to do. So that's sort of one of the legs that I, so the socket and the foot, and I really dedicate that for my water activity. Although the socket I can also use uh, with other feet. Um, I have a running blade now and I've been wanting that for a while. And that's been great because I've been back to running. I have a regular, um, um, Oh my gosh, I knew you were going to ask me about these and I can't even think of what they all are now. I have two other two other regular feet that I switch around. One I use more for working out, which is a Maverick. And I actually have an American-made socket that I love wearing with that. And that is, um, well, I have two. I have a limb one and I also have, um, oh goodness gracious, um, 
out of Oklahoma City, I can't think of the name right now, Icon. It's an icon. And what I love about that is that I can really flex my knee when I want to do a workout. And then I have my vanity one because I have one that I can, of course, wear high heel shoes with. So, you know, and that's as important. I, as I t- well, as I say to my girlfriends, I said, you have you spend money on your Louboutins. I spend money on a foot. <laughs> and then I told one of them one day, one of these days, I'm going to take the foot shell off and I'm going to lacquer the bottom of it red <laughs> so that I can say I've got my Louboutin foot. <laughs> there you go. I'm pretty sure that paint that paint number is available. <laughs> And you can just do that. That's a great idea. With this pandemic, have you had any challenges or sort of barriers that um, that you've come across? So related to my amputation, nothing. I would say I've had more barriers or uh, stressors, if you will, when I let my mind go to negative narratives, right? And where I like to focus myself and where I like to focus with my friends is how do you become a less vulnerable person? And when you start to think about how do you become less vulnerable, it means you got to take ownership over a lot of things, what you think, what you eat, how you move, how you sleep, and to be, you know, to be worried and stressed. And I'm going to put it at the extreme, worried, stressed, eating horribly and drinking (laughs) are not going to be helpful for you, right? And they're not helpful for healing and they're not helpful for us to do for other people, right? Um, So I think that that's really where I've been focusing more so. Um, I'm uh, Because I'm also still in part-time practice, we are essential workers. So there's been changes to practice, of course, with that. And uh, it is what it is. is. Uh, I will certainly say that we've seen lots of patients that have been way overstressed and so to be able to facilitate them taking ownership of things that they can take ownership over which is you know what i eat what i think what i how i want to respond how i sleep how i manage my stress my exercise my flexibility my cardiovascular strength so on and so forth i think those are all really huge huge things that we have far more power than what we realize when we start to take control of that. And we feel better about ourselves too, right? Earlier on the pandemic, um, I got to admit, I was day drinking just because I thought it was, I think at that time it was just like, oh, everyone's doing it, so I'll do it. But then eventually you're like, I'm not really this person. So, you know, and, and again, changing the narrative and saying, this is what we have now. I was frustrated about not being able to run in races, but then I found my way of actually, you know, I can still run in my community air quotes, and still do the things I want to do. Sure, I'm not surrounded by, you know, 50,000 people running at the same time, but, you know, I'll I'll find other ways and find alternatives to to satisfy that need to exercise and to go out there. Because again, my running is, it's a way for me to clear my head. You know, some people meditate where they're sitting down and meditating in in a quiet space. I technically meditate, I think I meditate when I'm running because I hear nothing. Right. I feel like I know there's no one around me. It's just me and my music. I literally, I think I black out when I'm running because I reflect on a lot of things in my head. Like I'm not seeing the mileage that I'm running or I'm not seeing the people around me when I'm running. I mean, you see them physically as you, to dodge them. But I think your my mind kind of goes into this reflective mode of how did we do that? How do we do this now? You know what I mean? Like sort of troubleshooting, if you will. Yeah. along the way and and I find I'm more I find more peace with myself when I'm running and that's why I do it. I think what you're really describing is that you get to get you are putting yourself into trance. 
really. It's that different altered state or you're in the zone. And, you know, that's something else too, I would say that if you have an opportunity to be outside and connect with mother nature, be it if you're in a wheelchair and you're in the hospital and you get get outside as long as it's, you know, you're not safe for you and you've got the proper, whatever you need to wear, um, connect with mother nature. Cause she gives us so much grounding and she reminds us. And that's been another beautiful thing about the pandemic for me is that I have been slowing my world down from travel and observing more of what's just around me, you know, and like we have a cottage up on an Island up in Georgian Bay. And this summer, I mean, I saw bear and deer and I didn't see a moose, but sometimes we see moose, but we saw all these other animals. We saw these owls, we saw offspray, we saw, uh, hawks, we saw, uh, you know, just all these animals that normally we wouldn't really see. And even if I'm out for a walk now, there's things that I'm seeing that I wasn't seeing before. And that brings joy because it's sort of like, wow, look at what mother nature is doing. So I think that that for many people, breath work is an amazing way of resetting stress and regrounding us and putting us into trance. Exercise, absolutely connecting with mother nature meditation there's a lot of ways we can be doing that oh painting you know what pick up a pick up and start write, writing or reading or painting or you know something some sort of an activity that that you can get lost in time lost in space and get absorbed with and i think those are those creative moments that are um that bring these i'm going to put it thought flashes of ideas into our head or the next step it's when we let go of that active mind that beta brain the one that's always talking to us we shut it off and then that's where sort of those gems kind of come to us on what the next step might be right i was going to say well do you have any other tips but you kind of give in some tips but other sort of self-care or well-being tips that you would recommend for our listeners looking into 2021 really with this pandemic moving forward in the new year Right. So I think that uh, there's a good time to reflect on what's important to you. And it may be people, might be places, maybe some things. Uh, but it, I think ultimately is who are we becoming as we are in this, you know, unusual circumstance that we are in. And if you are going in the direction of your preferred future, that's great. Because you know, then it's a matter of what's going to get in the way that you need to deal with and or what do you what's important for you to spend your resources to. And your resources are things like your time, your talent, your money, your expertise. And you don't have to be an academic, you don't have to be a scientist, because everybody has resources and everyone is unique and everyone adds to the value of other people. I absolutely believe that. And I think that as well, we could be looking at how can we become more kind? How can we be more compassionate? And how do we ask others to treat us the way we would like to be treated as well? So I think sometimes we want to put some parameters around things also. Uh, and that can be very, very helpful for our mental, emotional, physical health as well. So sort of going beyond, I think those might be some other pointers to for people to reflect upon. Mm-hmm. Now, you also have written some books. Um, yeah. Can you tell us more about them and where can they get a hold of these books? Yeah, so on one of my websites, it's drliz.ca, so drliz.ca. I have a few books on there. I've got one that was originally meant for the profession, for females in the profession. It's called Pearls of Wisdom, Pure and Powerful. But there's some really beautiful tips that are in there. I also have uh, No Winner Ever Got There Without a Coach, 
I have another one on success. And right now I'm working on one that's called Soul to Soul. So S-O-L-E to S-O-U-L, which is the story of my journey. And that's not out yet, but I'm working on that. I keep getting some information that keeps coming downloading on me. And so I write when I'm called to write on that. And then I filter when I read it later. And that <laughs> what I thought was brilliant, eh, eh, not at all. Uh, but ultimately, I think that, you know, people just need to tune in with, you know, what is your preferred future? And how do you want to feel in your preferred future? What are the feelings you want to bring forward? And with those feelings that you want to bring forward, whether it be vitality, love, connection, wholeness, grace, joy, whatever it might be, what are the things that are going to create that for you right now? And you've got to sometimes look for them, gratitude, and it could be gratitude, it could be, man, I woke up today, <laughs> you know, that's where you might start. Wow, I had, I could actually do X that I couldn't do yesterday. And you celebrate that. And when we get into that vibration of that mo of that emotion, which is energy in motion, that tends to give us this uh, horizon of seeing similar things. And so we tend to attract people, places and things into our lives that reflect something very similar. And it's, it's the old on the on the other side is when you wake up and say, oh, I'm going to have a bad day today. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> That's what you get. So why not start to focus on the little things that can build into big things for what you want for your preferred future. And then you will all of a sudden have these opportunities that show up that have been there. We just haven't recognized them yet. But they seemingly show up at this right time when you need them. And then that's when you take that action step forward. And there's it's it's working within ease versus working in the lack of ease, if you will, is how a lot of that works. I like that working in the preferred future. Is yeah. that the right term? Yeah, yeah I, I love exactly. that. I, 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 it's funny. I'm, I'm hearing these terms. I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. Oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just didn't have a term for them. So this is great. And then for, for folks who, and I talked about how you do um, speaking engagements. So for companies or organizations looking to bring you on as a, as a coach or a speaking for a speaking engagement, where can they find you? On the same website? If you could just yeah. remind everybody where that is again. Sure. So it's drliz.ca. And then my speaker one is drlizspeaker.com. But they're all linked in together. And uh, yeah, so I, I sort of, I like speaking really about overcoming adversity, looking at the mental mindset, you know, those kinds of things are what I enjoy. But ultimately, I like to work with whoever is hiring me, because I need to know what is their preferred future for the people that are attending. And let's navigate that together to make something that's unique. And, and what I like about doing that is that no two talks are the same. <laughs> so for me, it's not boring either. Right. No, absolutely. That's perfect. Thank you again so much, Dr. Liz, for sharing your story and sharing some tips on how to make more positive changes for the better well-being post-amputation. Your recovery and outlook post-amputation has been inspirational and motivational. I want to thank Dr. Liz Anderson-Peacock for joining me today. I'll share all her links on my website, www.aristotledomino.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Amputeer Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been the Amputeo Show Podcast. Mm -hmm.